We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, my name is Dub, and if you're wondering, yes, I have got a little bit of sunburn. Um, it's not embarrassment. I do feel embarrassed, actually, about my sunburn, but... Um, yeah, and also a sore throat. There you go. So I've got some water just in case. It's so good to be back for part three of three of our series, Loving People Towards Jesus. I've really loved this uh, these three weeks, just coming to be part of your church, um, getting to know people, chatting to people beforehand uh, and afterwards, uh, just being part of your, your service. It's just been really good. Got a real good feel for your church. And I love it, I must say. I really love this church. So it's been... Great to be invited in. Chris and the team, thank you for having me. Um, Over these three weeks, we've done uh, a few things, particularly over the first two. We have firstly looked at that scary word evangelism. We, We just reflected on if you're a Christian, it's probably the word that causes you to want to run for the hills. The word you wish was not part of the Christian Um, vocabulary. We looked at why it's so scary. I shared some awful stories of evangelism gone wrong. And then we reflected on, firstly, Jesus' heart for people, how he loves people. And we looked at um, three parables from Luke chapter 15, um, looking at the parable of the lost sheep, how Jesus is like the good shepherd that comes to seek and save the lost sheep. We looked at um, just Jesus' incredible compassion for people. And we looked at the fact that if we're going to do this thing called evangelism, the only way we can do it is by doing it through love. The only way we can fulfill Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples is through his great commandment to love. That was week one. Week two, we looked at what loving people towards Jesus looks like. Um, We looked at a real key phrase, I think, in our culture of post-Christian Britain, care before you share. How it's so important for people around us to know we care and we, we don't just see them as a project or someone we're trying to sell Christianity to. We looked at an incredible truth from Jesus where he says to you and me, if we're Christians, you are the light of the world. What an empowering word that is. Wow. As someone encounters me, they're encountering something of the presence of God. What a, an amazing truth for you and I to really grab hold of. And we looked at, as part of those verses, as we love other people, they're going to get a taste of Jesus' love, but also it's going to cause people to draw closer to him and we'll see people come to faith in him. So today, part three, the title today is Loving People on Purpose. Now, I don't know what your greatest ambition for someone in your life is. My greatest ambition for them is not that they can enjoy the fruits of a friendship with Dub for the rest of their life. That's quite a lovely thing, I can assure you. Being friends with Dub, what a wonderful gift. I've got a greater ambition for people in my life than that. Far greater, far, far greater. My greatest ambition for people in my life is that they would come into a relationship with Jesus. That is head and shoulders beyond any other ambition I've got for people in my life. To be fair, if my greatest ambition for them was that they could enjoy the fruits of a friendship with me, you might say I'm suffering from a Messiah complex or something like that. But a relationship with Jesus, wow, there's just nothing like it. If you're a Christian, there's so many amazing words we've sung, some truths we've sung this morning that you could just feel people across the room, your hearts were just delighting in telling Jesus how magnificent he is, what a difference he's made for you. 
And if that is true, if he has utterly transformed you from the inside out, if he's changed your destination, if he's changed the fu- your future and your eternity, if he's poured his love into your heart and poured forgiveness over you, surely you'd want that for people you love in your life, right? Surely. Anything else would just not make sense. It just would be illogical to say, yeah, I, I, I have received all the benefits of that. Do I want that for people in my life? Mm, nah, not bothered really. That would just be weird, wouldn't it? That would be weird. That wouldn't make sense at all. And so this week, we're going to look at loving people on purpose. You could call it the intentionality of how we would love to put people in Jesus's presence. And so loving people on purpose means simply this. Jesus is the destination He is the place we want to help people arrive at in their lives. Every journey needs a destination. Otherwise, you get in your car without a destination, you just drive round and round and round, wouldn't you? Until you run out of fuel. And at two pound a litre nearly, that's not going to be pretty. Every journey needs a destination. And my desired journey for people in my life is that they'd arrive at meeting Jesus. I've come to realise that the biggest role I have in helping someone come to faith in Jesus is not to try and sell Jesus to them. It's not to try and drag them over the line of faith or argue with them or batter them with a Bible, but to put them in Jesus' presence. Because he reminds you and me, we are not the saviour. We're not the person that can save. We looked at, over the last couple of weeks, the fact that you and I, well, I can't anyway. I can't save a Word document correctly, let alone a soul. And Jesus says, that's all right. You don't have to save a soul. Bring them to me because I am the saviour. So our role, I say it's like being a door opener. And if you look at, in the olden days, the, the manor house, the Lord of the manor's manor house, and someone knocks on the door, and the, uh, the doorkeeper, their role was to open the door. Quite a simple job. What they wouldn't do is what we would tend to do these days, is open the door. Hello. What they would do back then is they'd open the door and stand behind it as they're opening it so that they're not seen. They're not seen. It's not about me. My role is to simply open the door and be out of the way so that as you look into the house, you can see the Lord of the manor down the corridor and your first view is of him not of me. I think that's a really good picture for you and I about what our role is with people in our lives, is to open the door and let people see Jesus for themselves. Jesus isn't the Lord of the manor. He calls himself the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who wants to bring people into his family, into his kingdom, and he wants us to open the door and be happy to get out of the way so he can do business with them and reveal his love and his message to them. So how can we get people there? How can we help people in our lives with all sorts of preconceptions and issues and hang-ups about dodgy Christian behaviour trying to evangelise or that pushy street preacher or whatever else they might, you know, stereotypes, oh, Christians and Christianity's like this or that. How can we help people with preconceptions come to encounter Jesus for themselves? This will sound like a dirty word that will cause some of you to go, this is very unspiritual. But God wants us to be strategic. He wants us to be strategic. Think about the four words of this series, the book I've written, loving people. We've looked at that. Second part, towards Jesus. God wants us to be strategic. 
And God himself is incredibly strategic. 2 Samuel 14, 14 reminds us, God devises ways. He comes up with strategies so that people would be saved. God isn't just there in heaven going, oh, hope they make it or hope they find out about Jesus somehow. No, no, God is strategic. He devises ways so that people would be saved. That's a strategic God we're hearing about. God was strategic. Galatians 4.4 tells us when he sent Jesus at just the right time. It wasn't just uh, when you fancy going, well, don't know, we'll go at some point. Strategic, right, at just the right time, son, you're going to go. Jesus was strategic when he said he had come to seek and save the lost. Can you see the strategic nature of God here? This isn't a God who's just um, sitting there going, yeah, not bothered really. He is passionate about people and strategically Jesus goes out to seek and save the lost. We sung the song, your love never fails, it never gives up, never gives up on me. And that is so true. But I think we could change the last couple of words to, your love never fails, Jesus, it never gives up. It never gives up on the people in my life. I think we could do that as well, because I think that song's wonderful. But Jesus' love doesn't stop with you and me. If you and I think that Jesus has completed his mission, then we're, we're kidding ourselves. If we think that Jesus' ambition for Guildford stops in this room, everyone who's in this room, we're kidding ourselves. And the other thing is, you and I weren't the hardest people in the world to save, but we weren't the easiest people in the world to save. Sometimes we can think, yeah, it was one thing saving me, but you're never going to save my friend, as if they're much harder. That's going to be much harder again, because I was, I was always quite nice. I was quite close always, wasn't I, Jesus? No, no, no. He needed to do an incredible saving job on you and me. And he can do that on people in our lives as well. And he is passionate about them. He hasn't finished with his work for this town and the people around you and me. The Apostle Paul, who wrote big chunks of the New Testament, was strategic. He said in his letter to the Corinthian church, I've become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. What was he saying? I want to identify with people. I want to connect with people. I want to meet people where they're at so that I can introduce Jesus to them. God was strategic when he placed people in your life and my life on purpose. We looked at that last week, Acts 17, 26 to 27. It says, God has decided where and when people would live so that they would reach out and find him, even though he's not far from each one of us. God, on purpose, has placed people in your life and my life. This is, strategy is not a dirty, business-like word that shouldn't be in church. God himself is the most strategic person you will ever find. And he then says to you and me, would you be strategic too? You might prefer the word intentional. Should we use that word? Let's use the word intentional. Sounds nicer, doesn't it? It sounds softer. God wants you and I to be intentional about putting people in Jesus' presence. As I said, it's not about us trying to sell Jesus to people, but introducing them to him so they can meet him for themselves. And I think as Christians, we sometimes can fail in one of three ways, I guess. One, that we can be um, unloving and unintentional. That would be one extreme. Another one might be that we are um, 
strategic without loving. And then people will feel like a project because you're just trying to make me like you, aren't you? And sometimes we can be loving without being strategic. And we can have people in our lives that we can love forever and wonder why they've never encountered Jesus. I've done all the right things. I've done all the right things. And I just believe there's a missing piece for us. There's an intentionality to say, I want to love you well. I want to love the people in my life. And I want to help them encounter Jesus. I've found that you need both parts. You need to love people and you need to love them towards Jesus and find ways for them to connect with him. So that's what we're going to look at over the course of the rest of this message this morning. So what are the intentional steps? The intentional slash strategic steps that are going to help people come face to face with Jesus and encounter them, him for themselves. Well, we looked at last week in great detail um, what a huge impact it can be and how important it is for someone to have a Christian in their life. If you are a Christian and you're in someone's life, that is step one for them to be able to enjoy just a taste of God. We looked at you're the, you're the light of the world. When you're in someone's company, they are blessed because they're getting a taste of God himself by his Holy Spirit through you. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. The second thing is something that John Burke uh, calls relational momentum. Now, relational momentum, there's lots you could, I could say about it. There's a chapter in the book about it. But for now, just a couple of sentences to summarise it. Relational momentum is where we introduce people in our lives to other Christians and see how this creates an amazing momentum through these extra relationships that helps people start to become open towards God. If you see a star in the sky, you'll notice it. If you see a, a sky full of stars, what an impact. What an impact. In the same way, as someone encounters you as the light of the world, there's a great impact there, but even more so as they encounter a group of Christians who are normal, who, who love, and a good company to spend time with. What an impact that makes. I've seen this time and time again with people in my life who've come to faith that the gear change for them wasn't just having me in their life, was, but was them meeting other Christians in my life as well. It was so significant time and time again. And I would say that within this church, your life group, we're in summer season. What about some barbecues? Just hang out as a life group. What about, tell you what, we'll do, we're going to meet twice a month. Maybe we'll do a Bible study on a Wednesday, Thursday night, or whatever you do during your, your life groups. We'll do that once. And then the next time in the month, we're going to do a life group barbecue. And we're just going to invite people. We're not going to be weird. We're not going to be preachy. We're just going to hang out and bring our friends in because we know that my group are going to do them good. Maybe that's something you can look at. I think Acts chapter 2 hints at relational momentum as we read about the beginning of the Christian church. If you don't know Acts, it's the... Um, the book after the Gospels of Jesus and Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, but don't go anywhere yet. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit first. He fills his disciples with his Holy Spirit. Um, Peter preaches to the crowd. 3,000 people become Christians and the early church has begun in quite a style. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, you look at the life of the Christian church, the very first Christian church and what, what it looks like. And they did things like this. You'll recognise lots of it. They went to church and were fed by the preaching. God was moving powerfully. 
they did life together, including going to each other's homes and sharing meals um, and doing life groups together. They looked after anyone in need within their church. They looked after anyone in need outside of the church. They did good. They loved people. They blessed people. They opened their homes and cared for others. And then this lovely sentence, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that wonderful? You can tell from that last sentence that they weren't just in a bubble or a holy huddle. This was about bringing other people in, bringing other people in. And you've seen the Christian church ever since has been about loving others and bringing them in to experience community and ultimately to experience Jesus. There's a picture coming up on the screen of Matt and Bridget and they're two girls with me and my family in the sun. You can't quite see, but I've got a red face again because the sun was shining. Um, that was us uh, on the beach last summer. Um, I mentioned, I think last week, um, Matt and Bridget were new to our school um, our school gates, their girls joined our school, they were new to the area and their first day on the school gate I realised these are new, they don't know anyone so I just said hi and we just um, started to get to know them. We started to invite Matt and Bridget round to ours with their kids just to spend time with us as a family and another family from our church who are also part of the same two classes. So there's three families hanging out, two Christians uh, and one family that weren't Christians. Bridget used to be but had sort of drifted from her faith and Matt was a happy atheist who didn't want to know whatsoever and I'll get to that in just one second. Um, we were doing life with them, we had them around to ours a few times and to Kirk and Helen and our other friends and then Matt and Bridget invited us back to theirs and I remember standing next to Matt's barbecue, he's South African so he, he was doing a braai which, which puts my barbecue to shame. I'm standing there with a beer chatting to him while he's cooking um, and he said to me, what do you do for a living dub? And I said, oh I'm a pastor at Welcome Church in Woking and his words were, let me just, let me just read it here, I, I hate religion and hate people talking about their faith. That's what he said. Um, that was awkward, tumbleweed moment. Awkward. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, zip your mouth and be friends with him, and I'm going to save him. I just sensed deep down, God say it to me, and I'm thinking, wow. I was thinking, when I can do my bit, God, I can zip my mouth and be friends with him, but good luck with your bit, because he looks like a tough gig. <coughs> Slightly aggressive atheist you got on your hands there. Let's see what you can do. So we continued to hang out, do life with them. I stopped talking about my, my faith, um, and, but we just started to um, connect them, not just as a mini group with three families, but to our, our life group as well. They came to um, our life group, barbecues, that sort of thing, and they just started to get to know other Christians. We then had a dads and kids camping weekend organised by people in our church. We invited Matt and his kids to that as well, and they came along. That was probably July time. And then September comes along and I haven't invited them to church because God, God told me to zip my mouth and build with him. Um, and then one Sunday at church, Matt and Bridget and their girls turned up. And I was thinking, there's a bit of a surprise. God, you're doing pretty well here. That's good. Um, I was like, Matt, I wasn't expecting to see you here. He said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be anywhere else than here. But my girls have been nagging me to come to welcome kids with your kids for a long time. <clears throat> so I'm here. By the way, perhaps we could be more childlike in our invites. Our, our kids, just as part of doing life with them and saying, hey, come to church with us, it's loads of fun. And they came along. So I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Um, and then he realised that the, the Old Testament was being preached from and he said, 
are, they, are you seriously preaching from the Old Testament today? That is barbaric. That is disc- How could you? So anyway, he's sitting there like this. He's um, analysing and critiquing everything that's going on. And afterwards, I was like, all right, Matt, how'd it go? Oh, I think it's disgusting you're preaching from the Old Testament. But it was a bit interesting. I might come back next week. God, you're doing well. You're doing well. So they came back next week and the week after and the week after. And I was amazed at seeing me just, uh, us just loving him and his family and being intentional. There was an intentionality. Do you see that? I was the relational momentum. I was inviting him to spend, and their family spend time with other Christians. That was a life group and a, the camping. But actually, so much of what was going on was, was God. And so they kept coming, kept coming. After about five weeks, he sent me a message one evening and said, um, I want to do Alpha. I know you run it. I, I believe you can sign me up. Can you sort that out? I'm thinking, God, you're good at this. God, you're really good at this. So he came on Alpha. And um, they were coming along to our life group socials regularly. And on a Thursday night, at the end of our life group, me and him were walking home from someone's house and it was Alpha was the night before and he said to me as we left that house, I prayed that prayer last night, Dub. And I was like, wow. I said, that's amazing. What prayer was it, Matt? And he said, well, you should know, you led the prayer. I was like, it was yesterday, a long time ago. He said, it was to invite Jesus into my life. He said, I've got loads of questions, but I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. Um, so he did, so they did Alpha. They did Alpha. The time frame, they started coming to church in September, did Alpha starting in February. We're then heading towards the summer term. And our church, with your church and other churches, went to this thing called West Point. Uh, it's called Connect Festival next summer. I'm sure you're going to go. It's amazing. We invited Matt and Bridget and their family to come. And there was something called Just Looking, just like Alpha, Just Looking. And I said to Matt, one of the seminars is Just Looking. Why don't you do it? I'll come with you. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. But I don't need you to come with me. I'm going to do it on my own. And he turned up at this Just Looking seminar. And um, I'm going to just read to you what he said. He, at the end of West Point, he sent a message to our life group WhatsApp group. And I just want to read it to you. I want you just to feel what that would be like for people in our life group. I asked God to come into my life during my Just Looking seminar, something I had done before, except this time I owned it. And I put my hand up when asked. That was the start of the emotional overload. I stood up and left. The table host and pastor both asked if I was okay, but I could not talk. I just walked out. As I left, the pastor said, congratulations, you're a Christian now. That really hit me hard. So I wandered back to camp, not saying anything at first, trying to compose myself, scared I might start crying at some point. I can feel the welling up inside as I type this. The meeting that evening was insane. As I sang, I couldn't hold back the tears. The words to the songs which I had sung before were different now. They really spoke to me. I can't type anymore. He then put this message shortly after. Crazy. I was a very happy, self-proclaimed atheist. I still have loads of questions, but now I believe. And what followed, as you would expect, was a glut of messages from people all the way across the life group onto that WhatsApp, just showing their absolute delight and their excitement and their joy at the fact Matt had come to faith. And they'd all played their part in what you and I might call relational momentum, just loving someone that gets introduced to them, just being normal, hanging out with them, letting God's light and love shine through them. And they played their part. And they were just overwhelmed as they're going, wow, look what God's done right before our eyes. 
And so that loads of messages piled on in. And then Matt replied, thank you for your kind words, everyone. You have all played your part in helping me want to become a Christian. Now, I don't know how, if you're aware how significant that is. He needed to want to become a Christian even when he believed in Jesus. People, it seems as though that is part of people's criteria these days. Do I want to be like you? And as you give them the pleasure of spending time with you and other Christians, you will find people think, I do want to be like you. I actually love your heart. I love your kindness. I love your hospitality. I love the fact you ask me questions about the important things in my life. I do want to be like you. And it causes people to become open to the message of Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. So, having a Christian in your life and relational momentum, two important things. The next thing I would say are low bar church event invites. Um, at Welcome Church, we create all sorts of low bar invites, just opportunities for Christians to connect their friends, not just to a life group, but to the whole church in a social context. Um, in the book, I talk about the hop, skip and jump, a, a journey towards our building launch where we ran a fun day and a fireworks night leading up to our first Sunday. And the amount of people that we had 500 guests coming to our fun day and we had lots more coming to our fireworks night. And our first Sunday in our new building, we had more than double the, the amount of normal people, people that we'd normally have coming to church. And out of those who came, there was a few hundred that were not Christians, but had been invited by friends who had benefited from the, I know you, I know other Christians in your life. I've come to some really lovely social events where your church has just done some nice, kind, generous things. And you're now inviting me to church. I feel ready to say yes. And out of those who came on the first Sunday, 200 returns week after week, after week, after week. And then we hit lockdown. And we're rebuilding. And we're going to do our hop, skip and jump journey in this autumn again because it was just so helpful to give, to facilitate what Christians are doing in terms of doing life with people and making invites, getting ready for the bigger invite of a Sunday. Speaking to Chris, I know that there's lots of different social events with a very similar idea in mind that, that, that your church leadership are talking about putting on to help facilitate you making invites of people in your life to start connecting with your church socially. Let me encourage you to really make the most of those because it will do people so much good as they spend time with you, your life group, other Christian friends, your whole church socially. So as we care before we share, as we look out for people in our life that God has placed there, as we do life with them, have fun with them, eat with them, introduce them to other Christians, build authentic friendships and invite them to low bar church events, we are helping to build towards that exciting moment, that invite to church or to Alpha or similar. Because we have earned the right to invite Again, a cheesy little strap line that might just be helpful for you as you're thinking about people in your life. Now, you might find someone comes up to you out of the blue and says, I want to come to church with you on Sunday. I would I'd bring them. I would bring them personally. I think that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that'd be good. Um, but there'll be lots of people in your life who aren't ready for that big invite yet. But as you earn the right to invite, you are ready to invite and they are ready to receive the invite. <clears throat> Your relationship is built. Trust is built. People know that you are there to do them good. People know you are not there to see them as a project, but you genuinely care. And they've met others in your church, etc. 
The question then becomes, what invite should I make? And secondly, how do I make a good invite? I would simply say in terms of what invite you could make, an invite to church on Sunday, any Sunday, would be good. It might be that you as a church have, let's call it high Sundays, where there's a special Sunday we think, let's bring guests to that. That's something that you can work through as a, as a church. Chris um, and Stuart and the leadership team can sort of work that through with you. But actually any Sunday, I would say, is a good time to bring someone to church. And I would say Alpha is absolutely amazing. The culture of Alpha is so good. The relational momentum we talked about, people receive that on Alpha because they, they just do life with people, have meals with people, chat socially, hear great messages about Jesus and just chat that through in a very social setting. Alpha is also really helpful. Uh, to find out more about why I think it's so good and how you can make the most of that, you could read the chapter called Be an Alphaholic, which um, I think you might find helpful. So how can I make a good invite? <clears throat> what I've noticed... Lots of us as Christians can make really uninviting invites. Which, if you think about that little phrase, an uninviting invite is a contradiction in terms. You should never make an invite that's anything other than inviting. Is that quite obvious? I, I believe we can make very backhanded or cautious or worried or negative uninviting invites to church. And I think worry or fear can cause us to do that. Can I encourage you, inviting someone to church is a wonderful thing to do. And as someone comes to church, you're putting them in the presence of God who loves them, whose son has laid his life down for them, and they'll have the opportunity to experience something of God. And I've seen so many friends of mine, well before they became Christians, just like during worship, you just see emotions stir up. With lots of people, they're going, I don't know why I'm feeling so emotional. I'm thinking, I do. God's stirring your heart. Um, just bringing people to church is just such a brilliant thing to do. So as you think about that invite, you can make an inviting invite. Could you invite them to something that is good? <clears throat> and you can be confident. So don't be worried. Make a positive, encouraging, inviting invite. Secondly, I'd say be thoughtful. It's worth bearing in mind that people in your life might just not have a clue where your church meets, what time you meet, where they should park, what they should wear. That's a thing. Um, if they turn up, will they find you? If they don't find you, is someone going to pounce on me? Who, what will I do? What's going to happen? There's all sorts of worries. How long will it go on for? Will the service ever end? There's all sorts of worries people will have. If, if my friend invites me and I say no, is that going to sort of cause an issue in our relationship? There's all sorts of worries that someone might have when you're making an invite to church. And so if you make a thoughtful invite, you can help cover lots of the stuff they might be worried about. Things like, where do I park? What if I can't find my friend? You know, that's completely solved if you say, I'll pick you up and I'll take you there. It's very simple. It makes significant differences for people. You can talk about how long it will last. You can say, just try it once. Doesn't matter if you don't enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. Doesn't matter if you don't, just try it once. You don't have to come again if you don't want to. But I think you'll enjoy it. Why don't you give it a go? So you can make thoughtful invites. Picture 
if you've never been to a mosque and, and a friend of yours invited you to a mosque, you'd have a hundred questions because you just wouldn't know what's going to happen and, and how it all works. It'll be similar with people in your life when it comes to bringing them to church. You're used to it, so you're not think, necessarily thinking, oh, what will they be worried about? They'll have all sorts of questions, so a thoughtful invite would be really helpful. Also, be creative. I would say make your invite... You're making an invite to someone you've got a relationship with. So make, make a relational invite. I would say make the invite around hanging out together would be really, really important. So it might be I'll pick you up and then it'll be, by the way, come back to ours for lunch afterwards. Or if you share a hobby, why don't we go and do that walk we talked about doing or whatever it is that you two share in common. Maybe that's something you could... You could you, um, you could do as part of the invite. I could, we could do that afterwards as well. When our carol services come round, I'm desperate to bring lots of families who never come to church. That is almost like a low bar invite in some ways because lots of people do carol services who don't come to church. And I'm thinking, how can I get lots of people to come? So this is genius, by the way. I, I, you, you won't have heard of anything quite as amazingly genius as this. I came up with something called Cakes and Carols. Like, whoa, whoa, they both begin with C. And one's food and one's what we're going to do at church. I know, it's genius. It's genius. You can have that for free. You can use any other C as well. Or just find another word. It's all right. You can do that. <laughs> um, Cakes and Carols for me was just an in, was just a way that I could help tell my friends this is a social relational invite. We're going to enjoy hanging out together and we're going to go to the carol service. So we invited seven families to do cakes and carols. Meet at ours, it was a, an evening carol service. So meet at ours in the afternoon. Bring your kids. Um, they can all run around and play. They can eat cakes and have hot chocolate. We'll do coffee and wine and whatever for the family and other snacks. So it's, we're going to have a social time at ours and then we're all going to go in convoy to the carol service. Should have called it cakes convoy and carol shouldn't I that doesn't so good um, we'll all go because I can't get seven families in my car unfortunately otherwise I'd say I'll take you so we'll all go in convoy follow me we'll park at the same time we'll walk in together you don't have to worry about where you're parking just follow me so seven families all came all came to ours all came to the carol service and then the following year came again and some in the meantime started coming to church because they had experienced something good at the carol service. Oh, maybe we'll come again. Maybe we'll come again. So you can make creative invites just around hanging out together because this is about a relational invite with someone you care for, right? So a couple of examples of a, an, an invite that maybe doesn't cover some of these things of being inviting, being thoughtful and being creative and then one that maybe is a bit better. Yeah, I go to Hope Church. Uh, it starts at 10 o'clock. Here's a flyer. Um, I, I might be there. Why don't you go? Uh, I might be there. I might see you there. All right, hope you enjoy it if you go. There's an invite. Not very inviting. Not very thoughtful. Where do I go? Where do I park? Oh, I've got to find the detail. I've got to do my own study to find out where to park. My, I might, I might, my friend doesn't even, you know, will I even see my friend? I think 1% of people who you invite might say yes to that sort of invite. And they would be the extroverts who are also Christians. Um, what about this invite? Thinking about inviting thoughtful and creative. Hey, I wanted to invite you to come. I'm going to smile, by the way, because I'm inviting you to something good. I wanted to invite you to come to church with me on Sunday. We've got a really great preacher, our lead pastor, Chris. By the way, he's not just a preacher. He's also a boxer. 
It's fascinating. And the topic he's going to preach about on Sunday, I think you're going to really enjoy it. You know, John and Steve, who came to my barbecue last week, they're going to come as well. They'll be there. We can sit with them and we all sit together. It starts at 10 o'clock. I'll tell you what, I'll pick you up at half nine. We'll get you a Costa on the way in um, or a Starbucks or whatever your preferred coffee is. Um, I'll get you a drink, a coffee on the way in and then we'll meet up with John and Steve. We'll sit with them. We'll enjoy the service. It'll go on for about an hour and a half and then we'll head out for lunch. By the way, we'll go to Nando's. Lunch is on me. Why don't we do it? I think it'll be nice. We'll have a lovely day together and I think you'll enjoy church too. As you sort of think about the person you're inviting, as you think about their worries, their concerns, their questions, you can just make inviting, thoughtful invites that can just really help people. I've discovered that once you've earned the right to invite, so many people are actually really open to an invite. People won't be offended by your invite. And actually there'll be that many people will appreciate the fact you cared enough to invite them. And when you've earned the right to invite, many, 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 many people in your life would be ready to say yes to your invite. They honestly, honestly would. And I think that you have, <laughs> I would say that the greatest privilege in life is knowing Jesus. I'd say the second greatest privilege in life is introducing him to someone you care about. You, he has got something utterly wonderful for you, which is the privilege of helping love people towards him. And he is ready. We looked at the prodigal son parable in week one of the father who's there, sort of on his veranda every day. Will my son come home today? Uh, can you just get a sense of God's heart as you make an invite, as you bring someone into your church meeting? You get a sense of God's heart of anticipation, of excitement. Oh, I'm going to help him to know my son Jesus today because I love him. Jesus has died for him. I, I want that person to know quite how utterly wonderful Jesus is. That's God's heart. And he just wants to encourage you to love people towards him so that Jesus can save them. I personally am so relieved that um, I believe God has given us a pass to remove that scary word evangelism from our vocab and instead talk about loving people towards Jesus and what I find absolutely amazing about it is whereas evangelism can feel like it's for the professionals for the experts loving people towards Jesus really is an all play for all of this church for everyone who's a Christian every single one of us can love people towards Jesus and I believe that as you have that desire in your heart and you start to do life with people and just to create at the right time that intentionality to say I just want to be that door opener how can I bring them in how can I have them encounter Jesus as you have that heart to say that's what I want for them I believe I really believe that God has placed people in your life that are going to come to know Jesus because he is a wonderful saviour can I encourage you that this is for you <laughs> this isn't for dub or for your elders or for the extroverts in your church this is for you and it is the greatest privilege that you will experience let me just sum up briefly what loving people towards Jesus is and does firstly loving people towards Jesus empowers all of us to live lives of love 
Secondly, it reminds us of the direction of our love towards Jesus, which is the relationship that we most desire for people in our lives, right? Thirdly, loving people towards Jesus fits with whatever model of church and outreach and evangelism that your, um, that your church runs. Fourthly, loving people towards Jesus keeps our confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus, the saviour. We're not to save people, that's not our gig, but to bring people to him. We can bring people to Jesus and leave the results to him. And finally, leading, um, loving people towards Jesus will lead to people encountering him. I believe you'll see lives transformed forever before your eyes as he saves people. So as we draw this final session of Loving People Towards Jesus, this series to a close, I do pray that God has encouraged you throughout this time, that he's got plans to draw people in your life towards Jesus through you. I do pray that you have chosen to believe Jesus when he says to you, you are the light of the world and he'll make a great impact in people's lives as you love them and shine his love brightly. I do pray that he stirred your heart with faith that he has plans to save people in your life as you love them towards him. And I pray that um, God is just causing you to start to think, who are the people in my life? Who are the people he's placed there? And how can I help them step by step come to the place where they can encounter Jesus for themselves? As we draw this this series to a close, I'd love to pray for you. Um, and maybe the band can come up and just get ready as I pray. just want to encourage you to see this, this moment now as a response moment, not to me, but to Jesus as he makes a call on you. In Matthew chapter 9, we read that Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he knew that he, the good shepherd, was the one that they needed. Jesus then said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And both of those, the, those, the two parts of that sentence are as true today as they were back then. Firstly, the harvest remains plentiful around you, around Woking where I live, around Guildford and the surrounding areas where you live. The harvest is plentiful, he would want to say to you today. And he would also say, but the workers are few. He then went on to say, Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And we could pray that. Jesus, would you send workers into your harvest field? But actually, what he wants from you and me, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, there's just sort of some slight mirroring of of, um, Isaiah as he's encountering God. And Isaiah's response is a response that Jesus is calling you and I to make. Because when Isaiah was said when God said to Isaiah who should I send Isaiah said here am I send me and I just want to encourage you this is your moment to say Jesus I'm not going to leave loving people towards Jesus to someone else here am I send me so I'm going to pray for us I'm just going to pray this as a prayer of you saying to Jesus I'm in I want to love people towards you Jesus thank you for your heart for me Thank you for your heart for lost 
and broken people. Thank you for your heart for people that seem far from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, would you give me more of your heart for other people who don't know you? Would you give me eyes to see the people you've placed around me? Jesus, would you give me the passion to open my front door, to cross the road, to stop and chat, to invite someone around, to do life with others? Jesus, help me to be intentional and to connect other people to other Christians in my church and life group to help them to benefit from relational momentum. Help me to connect them to my church in different ways. Give me courage to make inviting invites to church or to Alpha. Jesus, today I say, here am I, send me. Send me out as a worker in your harvest field, remembering that you're the Lord of the harvest, not me. Help me to remember that you're in charge, that salvation belongs to the Lord. The pressure of people coming to faith is on your shoulders, not on mine. And Jesus, I pray that as I love people towards you, that you would produce an eternal harvest of people in my life coming to faith in you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.